I think like a lot of other people, running was a way for me to deal with a traumatic experience. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy, episode 77. Today, I welcome runner, author, former educator, TJ Bryan to the show. TJ, a fellow Leo, was born August 21st, 1945. She is a member of a small group of women over 70 who run marathons. She is a rare African-American woman competing at this distance. After retiring from a 30-year career in higher education, she became a runner. She was 64 years old. It was 2009. And she decided to take on this demanding sport. She was surprised at how good she was. She not only took on the sport, she is dominating it. From 2009 to 2019, TJ has completed 53 races. Regularly, she wins age group awards, irrespective of the distance, 5Ks, 10Ks, 15Ks, half marathons, marathons. Of all her marathons, 10 marathons, 8 of those, she ran fast enough to qualify for Boston which is not an easy feat, no matter what your age is. For those who don't know, Boston is a prestigious 26.2 mile race that you have to qualify for. And also, even if you qualify, you still may not make it to Boston. Initially, TJ planned to run in Boston only once, but changed her mind. And registered five times. She ran it three times. Injuries prevented her from competing in 2013, which is the year of the Boston bombing, and 2021. She still has aspirations of qualifying for Boston. She has an upcoming marathon in this year. She returns following an injury. She's the author of two books and one is in the works. Saving Myself, a running memoir, which captures her running journey. Black Girl in Red and White and Blue America. Prior to retiring, TJ served as a professor, academic administrator, and university chancellor. She has... Bachelor's, Master's, and a Ph.D. in English, Language, and Literature. Please welcome T.J. Bryan to the show. Well, thanks for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to our uh, conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk with me. My pleasure. 
First, I want to start with what made you start running at age 64? Uh, in a way, it's sort of a long story, but it's a short story. I think like a lot of other people, running was a way for me to deal with a traumatic experience. I had been chancellor of a university in North Carolina. I And I before that time, I'd been working in Pennsylvania. I'm from Maryland. And I um, lost my job in North Carolina. I returned to Maryland. This was a devastating time for me because I'd been in higher education for about 30 years and I'd always been successful, always moving up to a better or higher position that I'd been successful. And so I was more than traumatized to find myself for the first time since I was 18 years old without a job. And in a place that I'd left years ago, I didn't really know that many people anymore. I mean, I knew people, but I hadn't seen them regularly over a period of years. And so I read an article in the Baltimore Sun Papers, and the article mentioned a uh, half marathon training program. And impulsively, I decided that I was going to participate in this program. Now, mind you, I couldn't even run from my house down to the street. (laughs) But I decided I was going to run a half marathon. And I didn't even know how far half marathon was. So I uh, decided I was going to do this. As I said, it was impulsive. And it was not as though I had any uh, indication that I had any athletic ability. So I wasn't like reaching for some goal that I'd put off. I mean, I had no reason to think I'd be able to do this. But I impulsively signed up for this program and went to meet the group. Was it an online program? It was a face-to-face program. The program was going to occur the first day. It was going to meet at, uh, the people were going to meet at a college in the Baltimore suburbs. So I went there. When I got there, the group wasn't there. I'd gotten lost on campus. The group wasn't there. And so a lady who was there told me, Mm -hmm. she said, oh, they didn't have access to the track tonight. So they decided they were going to run six miles (laughs) around the campus. So you had no training and the first run was six miles? Yeah, because the assumption was, I think, and I think it was a proper assumption, that anybody who signed up for this program would be able to run (laughs) at least probably half the distance, uh, you know, maybe six and a half miles or something. But that's what they had done. And of course, I couldn't even run around the track. And so, I mean, knowing what they were doing, and knowing that I was capable of doing nothing similar to this, I decided that I would come back because it didn't cost me anything to run or to go to the program the first day because the first day you came, this was a free experience. So you could sort of test the waters. So I um, decided that I would come back again, even though I had no reason that I thought I would be successful at this. But I thought, well, at least I'll meet some people, right? (laughs) Came back. And that's when I really learned that I couldn't run because it took me almost a month to be able to run completely around the track. That's 400 meters. And mind you, I had uh, maybe two and a half months left in the program when I started, and I'd have to be able to run 13.1 miles. So, but I still persisted and I signed up for this half marathon because I thought, okay, well, 
the good cause. It was the, for the University of Maryland Grinnenbaum Cancer Center. And I was a breast cancer survivor. I graduated from the University of Maryland at College Park. So there was some connection. So I thought, well, I'll raise money. I'll do this. And, you know, if nothing else. And I had one simple objective. I did not want to be the last person to finish. That was my objective. And so that's how I started. I mean, I started and I was, of course, I was the oldest person in the group. I'm almost always the oldest person in groups, but I, I stuck with it. And I finished the program. I ran the half marathon. And amazingly, I was the fourth finisher in my age group of 12 women in the half marathon, Okay, which was surprising. So how long was the program? <laughs> the program was about three months in length. When I started with the program, they'd already, the people had already met once uh, before. So I was in the program for maybe close to, close to, close to three months. So you progressed from nothing to a half marathon in three months. That's impressive. And when I came through, when I was, the person who was teaching the course was on the uh, route when we ran by. And when I came by, he said, well, I didn't expect to see you at this point. I was kind of ticked off <laughs> of the comment because that was hardly <laughs> a, a statement about uh, what he thought my confidence level was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I ran, we ran, um, we ran as a group. Twice a week, we ran on the track for speed work, or for some of us, no speed work, (laughs) but they ran on the track uh, once a week. And we also did a long run on a trail once a week. And on the trail, because I was so much slower than everybody else, I ran by myself. But I was determined that I was going to complete the program and not embarrass myself uh, at the end, at the race. But it was a good experience. And I learned a lot about myself and about my willingness to do things that I really wasn't sure I could do. I had been the perennial last person chosen for every athletic team when I was in school. So I was not some late bloomer. I don't even know that I had a bud. <laughs> Much less, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so I didn't think there was any anything there to bloom. <laughs> But as I said, it was the beginning of something that I've continued. I'm, you know, for all these years. You started in 2009. I is started in 2009, so I've been running for about 13 years now. I will be 77 in three weeks. I started running then, and uh, as I said, I run. I'm still running, even though I've had interruptions because I've had my share of injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have run in 54 races. During that time, what's the breakdown of the 54 races? 10 marathons, one 20 miler, 15 half marathons, including that first one. <laughs> uh, uh, I have done a one 10 miler, one 15K, two 10Ks, and 24 5Ks. And that's a lot in 10 years. I started running in 2010, and I haven't done half of that. Now I'm listening to you. I want to know your story. <laughs> oh, okay. I said we have a lot. Of I started running at a chaotic time in my life, too, after my mother passed away with breast cancer. I was depressed, and I started running just to lose weight, but I found that it 
it helped my mood. And not only I lost weight, I had friends who became family. Um, and also I read in your book that you had plantar fasciitis, which I had for two and a half years in the and a stress fracture. And I've had a plethora of other injuries as well, mainly from running, but I'll do triathlons now when I get other injuries with running plus other random other stuff. But almost all of my injuries have been tied to my feet. I have had plantar fasciitis, I think four or five times. I broke my toe when I was running. Apparently that was more of a stress fracture. It had been breaking over a period of time. And I reached the tipping point a couple of years ago and it just broke. And of course I couldn't run for a while. And most recently, I broke my foot. How'd you do that? It was stress fracture? That was an acute injury. I uh, took my eye off the ball. I tripped over a sidewalk, Mm -hmm. tried to catch myself. And when I tried to catch myself, I broke my uh, foot. It was very close to a Jones fracture. Since you're a physician, (laughs) uh, you you know a Jones fracture is very difficult to heal because of the lack of of vascularity in that area. I broke my foot in August 2021 when I was training for the October 2021 Boston Marathon. And uh, I was not able to participate because I couldn't train. So I've been running again now for a couple of months. And I've done my first race I actually, I did it about a week or so ago, my first race since I broke my foot. I did a half marathon. What was the last race, half? Okay. It was uh, the Presque Isle Half Marathon in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The half marathon is a good distance for me, but I like to suffer, I guess. That's why I keep telling people that the marathon is my favorite distance. Why is that? I don't know. why. I don't know. I actually run really well until I get to about 16 miles and I have not so far been able to escape, you know, the bonk, you know, when you bonk at about 16 miles or so mm-hmm. or 20 miles. So I haven't been able to beat the bonk. I've tried. So maybe that's why you keep doing them. You're trying to beat the wall. Yes. Because I enjoy half marathons more so than marathons. But I, well, I kept doing marathons. I haven't done one since 17 um, outside of Ironman. But um, it's because I I want to keep doing them till it's perfect. I get my time, my perfect splits. So I keep doing them, but they never happen. <laughs> so, but half marathons are more fun. Only only race I had where I didn't hit the wall was when I did Berlin because I used it as a training run for Chicago because it was two weeks away. And I just ran for fun. I didn't care about time. It was the best, but my t- my time was really awful. But it was the best feeling i had the most fun the berlin great was great because people were cheering in german i don't know but because i used to run walk so every time i ran i passed people and every time i passed people people were cheering i'm like they're cheering for me so i looked around <laughs> like nobody else is there <laughs> so it was fun i would love to do berlin now it's a lottery when i did it it wasn't so it was easier to get. it seemed like all the majors are lotteries now well, I just so admire you uh, triathletes. Uh, I have, I can't swim. <laughs> I couldn't. I just learned how to swim. I mean, I took lessons as a child, but I couldn't really swim. It's something about doing something that's kind of scary and challenging and overcome it, even though you're still kind of scared that 
I don't know. It helps helps me in life because life sometimes can be overwhelming. That's true. Certainly, that's true. I and I've I, on one of your programs, I know that one of the um, somebody who'd been in an Ironman was talking about being in the open water and people sort of some inadvertently kicking you or you not being able to see in open water. And I thought, oh gosh, I can't even swim in that a pool. <laughs> that can happen in big races. If I ever do one, it'll have to be the gym kind, the gym triathlon. You when you get in the pool, and they have the low start. My first one was a pool. At first, two were in the pool, and you could. It was so shallow you could walk. Cause one of the guys was like, "You know, you can walk." I'm like, "I'm trying to swim. I know I'm not gonna win the race. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to swim." <laughs> So, because they counted your laps for that one. And some of them you swim and you swim one lane and then you kind of cross and you swim another lane like in a little serpentine fashion. Uh, but most of the indoor ones, you just go back and forth and they count your laps. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you could walk, but somebody told me, actually, I, there was one that was outside that I uh, I was a spectator. I learned, it was in a park. And I learned that, that when I was watching that race i noticed that some people sort of more walk more than swam in the pool and but apparently and they were not unique there were a couple of people who did that i mean most of them swam but a few didn't but they covered the distance yeah i mean because that's what he was saying you could i'm like i'm trying to swim i mean like i'm trying you know this is practice for the the real thing because i can't you know most races you can't and most people swim faster than they walk in actual lake because it's usually muddy or rocks so it's really not good to walk they basically because my coach always tells me to swim until your hand hits the bottom and that's when you stand up and run out when you're doing the race well you were mentioning what i wrote in the book uh and the book of course is saving myself one step at a time that i had mentioned that i'd had a near drowning experience when i was a child and i was traumatized I was so traumatized by that experience. I was even afraid to get, you know, to hop on a boat and to hop off. I was so afraid I was going to fall in the water. But I want to learn how to swim. And I plan to go back. I'd been taking swimming lessons and I still can't swim. But I uh, still want to learn because I'd like to think that if I were in some situation, I'd be able to save myself. You know, if I were in the water, that's my motivation more than... uh, uh, you know, any kind of sporting competition. I think it's finding the right coach, particularly when you're learning as an adult. Cause I took, I took lessons as a child, but I think he instilled more fear into me than the fact that I could swim. Cause he threw us in the deep end and I made it to the shallow so I could swim evidently cause I made it to the shallow, but I hated it. And I never swam until I, I lived in Philly and I took some lessons at the Y, but I really couldn't swim. I used to hold onto the wall and to the rope. And it wasn't until I had, had a triathlete coach and he taught me it's this total immersion method. You do a whole bunch of drills to kind of get you used to the water till I overcame my fear of water and I could actually swim. So I think it depends on the, the right coach to kind of get you over your fear. Because when you're a child and you learn to swim, most of them, you not really fear water because you don't really know enough right. to fear it right. when you learn at a young age. I also learned how to bike later in life. I don't know if it was, no, it was not in saving myself one step at a time. I have another book, which is Black Girl in Red, White, and Blue America. And in that book, I describe uh, my experience with biking. I actually went to a biking instructor and he told me, he said, you're the oldest student I've ever had. 
And again, too, with that fear raised its ugly head because he would tell me, he says, you're so nervous and so tense when you're biking. And he said, and you're a really good biker. I did it, but I was afraid. And actually my first lesson, I um, was, I gripped the handlebar so tightly that my skin started to peel mm -hmm. and I had on gloves. Wow. And it intenses your shoulder and your back yes. as well. Yes. Yes. So you could do a duathlon. That was my first multi-sport race, the run, bike, run races. Uh, like a duathlon? Is that what they call those? Duathlon. That was my first race before I really learned how to swim, just to get me used to... Because I told before I did my first race, I was like, I can run and I can bike and I just need to learn how to swim. But when you do them together... It's a whole different feel doing two or three sports together. I may never know. <laughs> but I mean, if you want to try it, you should try doing duathlon. I have a friend who did that. Then she did a triathlon. She learned to swim. And because that was her her goal, her long-term goal was to do a triathlon. And she, she did it. And she learned to swim uh, so that she could achieve that goal. And she did achieve it. You should do, I have a friend. She did her first Ironman. I think she was 62. She could swim, but she's, she's <laughs> she could swim because she was a swim instructor, and she and she actually, which she actually had a lot of coming with you. She taught aerobics. I, I was in your book. I know you said you weren't athletic, but you did aerobics before because she teaches fitness classes and she teaches swimming. And she decided to do an Ironman um, after she retired. I love doing aerobics. I mean, that was such a high, and I expected something like that when I became a runner. Uh, I have to admit, I felt really good when I run, but I have not felt anything like an aerobics high. <laughs> really? See, I get a. I used to do aerobics all the time, and runners high, I, which I don't get every time. But when it's perfect, perfect conditions are a perfect race. It's nothing like that feeling. <laughs> well, I just feel really good sometimes when I'm running, but it's still, it's not. Pardon my. I hope you won't be shocked by my language. It's not orgasmic. <laughs> think run it is it but the high of it it's different because i swim and i bike there's nothing like the runner's high but i don't get it all the time but there's nothing like the runner's high compared to other athletic endeavors i think if you say so <laughs> but see i don't run maybe maybe i'm not as competitive because i was listening to your book and all of your accolades and how competitive you are i run I don't know. When I first started running, I used to beat myself up because I didn't get, I didn't get a PR every, I wanted to PR every race. I wanted to improve. If I did a race multiple times, I wanted to be better. Um, and then I got injured so much. I'm like, I'm just happy to be running. And I'm to that point now because I've had so many injuries and I've had three knee surgeries. So it's like, I'm to the point now and I couldn't, I just had surgery in April. So, and I can't start running real technically to August, which is next week. So whenever I get back to running, I'll be happy to run, but I want to race again. But triathlon, I have to run to do the, the race. Unless they have aqua bikes too, where you can bike and just swim. But I like to run, but I'm slow compared to you. <laughs> I'm slow. I'm slow. Even at my fastest, I'm slow. Well, you know, and I one thing I've learned is not to compare myself with other people because I'm so old. You know, if I compare myself, I'm definitely going to be... Uh, not happy. And I'm, I am competitive to the max, uh, not only about running, but it's sort of part of my personality in general. 
But um, mm-hmm. I can tell. I think that's the Leo thing. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes even comparing, because I listen to a lot of podcasts, comparing yourself to other people, like say a biker run, it could have been 100 degrees and 100% humidity. It could have been a hilly run and you run in this flat route you run every day. So it makes no sense to compare yourself to other people because you don't know the conditions, you know? Yeah. Or you could have been your sixth day of running. Or you just ran a marathon a week before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it does. I mean, I'm tired today. For example, I ran a, mar- a half mar that half marathon uh, a little over a week ago, and the conditions here are horrible today. The humidity was. I felt as though I couldn't breathe uh, because the humidity was. And I came back home, and my husband said to me, "He said, oh my gosh, because I looked like somebody dumped water on me." Because my skin was so wet from the humidity. But you're right. I mean, the conditions make a major difference. I know that from running Boston. Well, see, tell me about your first time running Boston. What was the experience? Just I, I want to run Boston one day, but I probably have to do it for charity. I'll be like 90 years old if I still, I'm still running because I'm too slow. <laughs> so I want to do all the majors. I mean, my, I loved Boston the first time I ran it. That was in... 2011. And the weather was wonderful that year. The tricky thing about Boston, you were talking about conditions. The conditions at Boston are so erratic or so, um, I mean, they're not so inconsistent. In 2011, the weather was great. But in 2016, when I ran it again, it was hot. And you just don't know what to expect there because of of, uh, as I said, because the weather is so different from year to year. But I enjoyed the experience because there was so much crowd support. And, uh, you know, lots of little kids running along, um, wanting to slap hands with you. And lots of people, lots of spectators who are out there really into the race. And so, you know, that was, and and for many people, I know Boston is an ultimate goal because, you know, you have, as you know, you have to qualify to run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I liked the course. I thought the course was fine. I didn't even know when I got to Heartbreak Hill, I didn't even know I was there. You know, people talk about, you know, the hills. And there are those hills. Mm-hmm. You like hills? Do I like running hills? You like running hills? Some people don't. I don't really like them, but I, I it was a good weather day and I trained. And so I don't mind hills, but I, I'm not bonkers enough to choose hilly race, an uphill race, if I can run something with declining elevation, because then my times will be better if I run, you know, on a flat or a downhill. In Boston, the first year I was, with the weather being good, I just loved the conditions and the course didn't seem that difficult. But in 2016, when I ran it, when it was warm, that course seemed so tough. And I just wondered if I'd run a different course in 2011 when the year, I, you know, when I thought it was not that difficult. And Boston is sort of a, you know, rolling course with, you know, with the hills, but it's, it's a course that you have to train for, I think, specifically by trying to include, you know, similar terrain in your training runs. I should say, too, that I, uh, whenever I race, I always find out what the courses are like so I can practice come up with little routes near where I live that are similar so that I'm really prepared for what I'm going to face on race day. One of the reasons I did the uh, half marathon, the Presque Isle half marathon was that I've signed up for the Erie marathon in September and it's on the same course. And 
I did the half marathon as sort of a preview of the um, actual marathon course. I actually, uh, maybe I'm actually so delusional, I actually have aspirations to run at Boston again. Why do you say you're delusional? Uh, I said that because some people might question why a 77-year-old woman would aspire to uh, Boston again. But of course, you know, when you're older, you get the benefit of those uh, easier qualifying times. Uh, to qualify for Boston as a 77-year-old, I have to do a marathon at five hours and five minutes, which wouldn't have been much of a challenge if I hadn't broken my foot and if I continued to train. I've just lost a lot of speed and endurance, you know, during those months mm-hmm. when I was unable to run. And of course, that's expected if you don't run for months. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things about running as an older person, I was out running. I had done a 16-mile run last week, and one of my neighbors, <laughs> people are so interesting, I was, uh, he was walking on the trail where I was running, and I uh, came up from behind him, and I said, oh, I just finished 16 miles. And he said, oh, you need to remember you're not 20 in your 20s anymore. I'm thinking, <laughs> I could be in my 50s and walking like you. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? People say some strange <laughs> things. <laughs> I know people do. And I don't wonder do they realize what's coming out of their mouth. So <laughs> what else is on your bucket list? What's on my bucket list? As far as running. I'd love to do Berlin. I want to do Boston again. And I'd like to do, I'd love to do Berlin. I have never run in a marathon outside the U.S., And I've certainly read about people who've done different continents and different states. And my marathons, Mm -hmm. yeah, the seven, Mm -hmm. I guess, on the sort of East Coast in the Mid Atlantic region, Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania. I thought about I'd like, have you run Chicago? Yeah, that's my favorite marathon. I've done eight marathons. Chicago, I've done three times. And it's my favorite. Berlin's my second favorite. I do not aspire to New York. New York, I did. That was my last marathon. I mean, it was fun because the crowd support, but those bridges and hills killed my legs. I was thinking I can imagine running the Varensaw. Was it Varens? What is that bridge? You know the one I mean? I think it starts with the V. I don't even know all the bridges. But the it starts off on a bridge. It starts off on a hill. Right. Was it is one of the early ones? I okay because I think I'm around mile thirteen. I, I was kind of done. I started cramping, and I sprained my ankle for maybe a week or two weeks before the race. And I'm like, I'm still running because I had to defer. I think the year before, I think I had plantar fasciitis or some other injury. So I'm like, I'm running this race regardless. Might have not been a good thing. I was almost crying at the end of the race, but I made it to the finish line. I I know that lots of people pine. Uh, they really want to run that. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I can see myself running over the Verrazano Bridge. I don't think so at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. But I like the crowd support. And at the end, because I know a lot of races, I think it was Tokyo where they'll pull you off if you don't make certain points at certain times. At the end, the crowd support is great. And they even have some professional runners actually cheering people on at the end of the race. Like just regular runners coming in. People clapping for you. The head of the New York World Runners Association is still there toward the end, like when it's dark, when most people are gone. 
So I, I love the crowd support, but you start late though with the whole going to Staten Island. Because I think I didn't start till eleven o'clock when I ran it. You were talking about injuries. I have missed lots of Boston's because of injuries, not being able to train. I didn't run in 2013 because I had uh, plantar fasciitis and couldn't train. And that was the year of the bombings. Mm-hmm. And I think in the book, I mentioned that my sisters claim that our mother was watching us from heaven because she intervened to make sure I couldn't run in that race because my sisters had come to Boston in 2011 when I ran and I would have been coming in around the time the bombs went off. Bombs went off. And I thought my sister, one of them, she had stood in 2011 in that area waiting for me to come in. And I thought if something had happened to one of them, because they were there because of me, I would never have been able to live with myself. Mm-hmm. So maybe fate or, or intervene. And that's why I couldn't maybe. go. Maybe. Sometimes things happen for a reason. You mentioned in your book a lot, your mom, uh, especially during stressful times, um, talking to her, are you having dreams about her? Yes. My mother uh, was the person who had the most impact on me during my life. Not so much by what she said, but what she did. She was a strong woman. And I Mm -hmm. told myself if she could keep on keeping on, Given what she had to deal with, I certainly can keep on keeping on and I can keep on doing because I did not have to face. I mean, I faced a lot of gender and racial bias, but at least I had some opportunities, opportunities that she never had. And it's it's her example that keeps me continuing when I face hard times. Mm hmm. And I think that's not unusual for parents to have such an impact on their children's lives and on the lives of others. Yeah, something else we have in common. When I'm stressed out, my mother died um, in 2008, right when I finished grad school. And it was really sad because... I've been broke because I was in school forever. So I was like, I finally have a job. I was supposed to start my job three months. She passed in October and I was supposed to start my job in September, but I delayed it. I was like, pamper her because she took care of me my whole life and she passed away. And it's when I have stress right now, I feel like I just like want to call her. Even when I'm stressed out, I have a dream and she, and she'll be in a dream. It's basically to calm me down because sometimes I let life kind of overwhelm me. And at the end of the day, it's not that serious. And one of the reasons why I'm so active is my mother was a, an excellent scholar. She was excellent in everything she did, but she didn't have a lot of health challenges. I used to make a joke, not a joke, but I used to say she had a walking pharmacy because she's on so many medications. And I was like, I don't want that to be me. So I'm extreme as far as running or just being active because I don't want to be sick. I don't want to have high blood pressure, diabetes, and chronic illnesses that are sometimes related to health, I mean, and diet and choices that we can make, some preventative things that we can do. One thing people have said to me, they've, I think sometimes I get the feeling that people think that older women don't look like me. 
You don't look your age. When I try to suggest to people, people make choices. And I don't think they do it consciously. You're talking about what they eat, what they do. And I've said to people, I see myself as an example of, I don't think I'm unusual. I think that any older woman can, I mean, older women don't have to look matronly. I mean, I could easily sit around and I could easily be inactive. I could um, Mm -hmm. consume food that's not that good for me, but I made a decision. I wasn't going to do those things. And um, I don't know that it's a decision I would have made had I not found myself in the situation in which I found myself in my early 60s. I'd always envisioned that I would be working until I was 70. And to find myself not working when I was 62 was quite a jolt. I never ran or did anything because I didn't have time. I mean, I was always in the demanding position. And so I didn't have time. And had I been running, had I held those positions, I might have been judged harshly by people who probably who might have thought I should not be doing what I was doing, you know, running, I mean. But I guess in some ways I sort of spun my experience into something that's positive in a sense, in that it's propelled me to do engage in activities that I would not have engaged in otherwise. In season five, we will continue the segment as the doc. If you have any questions related to musculoskeletal health, please email me, send me a message via social media, or click on my website and leave an audio message. Select messages will be answered on the segment. Yeah, I always say that we have our plan and God has his plan because sometimes the things we see in life that are negative or kind of disastrous is in some ways kind of funnels us into greater things are to where we're supposed to be. You may not realize it at the time that sometimes in tragedy or in chaos that something positive is formed. When I was doing research for this interview, I Googled you and discovered you have a Wikipedia page. Yes, I do. So, uh, and I see that you're not only an educator, but you were the first African-American woman to be elected by the University of North Carolina Board of Governors to serve as chancellor. Which I was impressed. And I think the same tenacity you took in your professional career, you take in your running career. Because I was looking up your listening as you prepare for race and how you go above and beyond a lot of runners to achieve your goals, to knock off those seconds, those minutes to qualify for Boston. As I indicated, I always try to do reconnaissance of the courses so that I can be prepared. I was telling my husband this morning when I finished my run, and I told him that when I got the end of the um, Erie Marathon, it's going to be about a 20, uh, I guess maybe it's about two-tenths of a mile uphill and after all that running, the last thing you want to do is discover that you have an uphill finish. I was shocked because I told you the Prescott Isle half marathon that we ran, that I ran, I did that so I'd know about the marathon course. 
I felt as though I'd been tricked when the half marathon was over mm-hmm. and we made this U-turn. It was, and I said, oh no, I can't believe we're going to end this on an uphill. Mm-hmm. And since I know what, what it's going to be like, the end of the half marathon is similar to what the end of the marathon is going to be. I'm actually out there this morning consciously practicing running uphill after a long run. Uh, and I'm running about the same distance so that I'm ready for that that finish line. So I get, I think you're right. I think there are similarities. I always try to be prepared for things in life and running and being prepared for races is consistent with what I've done much of my life. So I think there's consistency across different aspects of my life. What are your greatest challenges in regards to running? What would you say? In regard to running? One of the things I learned recently was the importance of running at conversational pace. When I ran in the past, I had sort of like one speed. And but what I've learned recently is that running slowly helps you to run fast because a number of studies indicate that slow running produces more uh, capillaries, more blood vessels that carry the blood that you need in order to run. And you produce these vessels when you're running slowly. I've also learned that slow running has helped me. I At one point when I was running, I kept, I would be running and I just stop. And then I, because I thought I can't keep up this pace. I can't keep up this pace. Mm-hmm. I've learned that if, when that happens, you're running too fast or faster than you should be. And so slow running has taught me that I have, that I sort of control when I feel the need to, to stop. And, and I also, I know that if I can walk, I can run. I learned that when I was doing, um, some uh I belong to this running group that did a lot of, of half marathon training and one of the coaches would always say that if you can walk you can he said you can yog which is similar to slow running and so I've learned that I actually have control I I have no longer will stop when I'm running when I feel I'm mm-hmm. what I do is I slow down instead and if I slow down then I don't feel tempted to stop And that's given me a lot more control than I had in the past. What keeps you running after all these years? And what motivates you? I I need to run. Running is the key to my sanity, such that I have. (laughs) But I, I, uh, I love, running makes me feel good. It makes me feel so good. It's a way when I run and I, I run a lot alone. And so when I run, I reflect. It's my time to sort of meditate, even though I'm moving, but I run because I have to run. I don't think I would feel nearly as good about life if I did not run. And I'd love, I I always run outside Mm -hmm. and being outdoors is key to me. In the book, I mentioned uh, how I uh, have sort of dealt with some of my lifelong issues because I'm out so much. People think it's funny because I would say that if you want to terrorize me, lock me in a room with a canary. <laughs> so I was so afraid of birds. And uh, I, I'm not afraid of birds anymore because I see them all the time. I just love being outdoors. And I was always sort of, I was considered myself an indoor person. 
And now I just can't imagine a life without being outdoors. I don't run on a treadmill and I'm not dissing people who use treadmills, but I can't, cannot run on a treadmill. I really need to be outdoors moving. It might be as cold. It might be icy or whatever. I'm not going to injure myself, but I, uh, I need to be outdoors. And I associate being outdoors with being, with running. I agree. I hate treadmills. I hate treadmills too. I think the most I can do on a treadmill is three miles. I won't even walk on a treadmill. I'm in rehab right now, so I can't even run. So I do some of the little smaller things on it. And in Chicago, weather is crazy. Even though I've I've run in a blizzard, I've run. <laughs> I run in some weird conditions because <laughs> I didn't want to get on the treadmill. They, I think, when I was living in Philly, it was after a flood. And as soon as the water receded, I was out there running, but it still was a lot of debris on the ground. It was a news crew out there and they interviewed me. And you were out there running? Why running? Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned in your book some of the challenges with being a female. And a black female and some of your um, running, seeing the Confederate flag and running um, with uh, pepper spray or with a gun. And and some of the challenges that other people might not have to think about running, especially I travel a lot and I run and I always try to run on busy roads. I'm like, I'm worried less about a car than some random person getting me in the woods or so um and I ski a lot so and I run when I ski and it's it's weird one time I was running on a busy road on one of the highways and this woman at a grocery store saying you're the girl that was running on the highway I'm like yeah that was me it was weird she just saw me in the grocery and knew it was me <laughs> at a grocery store at a ski resort because there's not that many African-American people particularly running uh <laughs> in the town we ran but can you just speak about some of the challenges that you experienced over the years, being black female, or even just being older? I mentioned some of the, we were running in races and had some issues with um, urgency and things that some people might not even think about that you have to be concerned with. Yeah, a lot of people don't, I mean, in terms of sort of feeling vulnerable as a woman, I um, I, I think I'm not unique. I mean, I think that people see you, if you're by yourself, they see you as being vulnerable. And I'm very careful when I run. Again, I run alone a lot. And so I make sure that I run in neighborhoods where people are used to seeing me. So I'm not an anomaly because they know I live nearby and they sort of, and they know they've seen me so many times that actually some of them tease me. And one time I stopped to walk and one person said, are you okay? You're walking. We never see you walking. And so, <laughs> but I, I do feel vulnerable when I run on, for example, the trail that's near where I live and nothing as far as I know has happened there, but that doesn't mean that something can't happen and that you won't be part of whatever happens. I, uh, I would much rather be with somebody else, uh, when I'm running on certain sections of the trail, but I really don't have that many um, options in terms of people to run with. My husband used to run with me on that trail, but uh, he didn't, he doesn't want to run with me now because he claims I'm faster than he is. But he also says that I'm always changing the plan. And he is very much sort of, we said, we're going to do something. We should do it. And 
And I'm always like going rogue on him or going, becoming a little maverick and changing the plan. So he's <laughs> not wanting to, to run with me anymore. But I, I do, I do encounter strange situations. I live in Southern Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania has a lot of uh, hate groups. And I was shocked because I have encountered Confederate flags on that trail and going in both directions. The first time I saw one, I was actually, um, I was shocked because I, I'm not naive enough to think that such flags would not be in this area, but I associate the Confederate flags with, you know, the Southern part of the U S but they are rampant in Pennsylvania and also in certain sections of Maryland. So Mm -hmm. I didn't like that because I, I just, it's terrible feeling when you see that and you know that that flag is a statement about you and your people. It's, it's alarming. It's alarming. It's distressing. And I shouldn't say that, but in a way you feel as though you're in some way responsible for this just because you exist. Mm -hmm. But um, I've had some interesting experience running alone in, in the city in Baltimore and when I've sort of been followed by people and I, one time I had a man stop and offer me a ride. I was offended because I was thinking, does he, do I look like I'm lost? <laughs> I've had that too. <laughs> I mean, as if I would accept a ride from a stranger as that I was offended because I thought he was making a statement about my ability to endure my run or to keep on. I'm thinking, do I look like I'm fatigued or what does this mean? <laughs> In a way, it's interesting that I, to me, that I'm running since I never, I don't know about you. Did you have role models when you were running? I mean, when you started running and biking and swimming, I didn't, I mean, I didn't. No, just people I meet, but no, not anyone in particular. I mean, most track star are like a short distance runners, but nothing like for as long distance running. Well, I think when I was growing up, I mean, when I was almost, 40 years old when the women's marathon in the Olympics became a thing. I was out of college when title nine was passed. And when I was in my younger years, that was during a time when the uh, amateur athletic union was saying that, you know, women were not uh, able to run and women were limited to uh, a short distance, even on the track. And certainly African-American women, I didn't see anybody much running males. And I didn't see people of any color running because running wasn't a a thing when I was growing up. And the African-American runners that we, at least that I knew about, were typically sprinters, like the the Tiger Bells, Tennessee Tiger Bells. And I would read about them, but I certainly never saw a track meet. I mean, Running was just simply not something that people did. Certainly running was not something that we did in school. And if we had done it in school, probably we would have been running short distances. And I'm just not a short distance runner. Yeah. I mean, I'm much more attuned to uh, longer distances like the half marathon. Again, it's the ideal distance for lots of people because you train for it and you Mm -hmm. demonstrate endurance and speed, but you're not really done in by the end of the race. I mean, you, it's, you, when I finish a half marathon, I feel, I don't even feel tired. I cannot make that statement about a marathon. 
when I finish a marathon, usually I feel like, oh gosh, I can't do one more thing. <laughs> I'm so tired. But yeah, when I was in high school, I, I tried to be, I was on the track team, but I was too slow. Uh, so I, I really was I'm not a sprinter. They didn't have cross country in my high school. They, now they do. My goddaughter ran cross country for a little while, but it was short distance and sprinting and that wasn't me. And still, I can run longer than you, but not faster. I can probably catch you at the end, but that wasn't me as far as the speed. And African-Americans of both males and females have been typecast as sprinters. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much because I am part of the National Black Marathoners Association. And that group does so much to unearth and to publicize the history of African-Americans in running. I'd never heard of Ted Corbett. You know, the father of distance running in the U.S. I will say I did meet Marilyn Blevins, you know, who is the first African-American woman to run uh, the Boston Marathon at a, at, in a time that was below three. And I talked with her about her experiences. I belonged to this running group and she used to run with that group. And I talked with her after one of the runs about her experiences as a a marathon runner and she, you know, was an anomaly and she talked about how, you know, she was called the N word sometimes when she was racing. Um guess because, you know, she wasn't supposed to be, I guess, in that context. She was one of very few. And even today, I talked with the founder or co founder of the National Black Marathoners Association. And he told me, you know, there are very few African American women who are running marathons or even frankly even half marathons he told me that uh, i mean the percentage of african-american women over 70 for example who are running these distances is so small well we know that in the general population people uh, in general mm -hmm. what is it was it one percent or something who complete a marathon yeah i think they somebody because i've seen people say oh now i'm part of the one percent and of course, they're referencing the percentage of mm -hmm. people who complete in this country who complete marathons. Marathon. And Tony Reed, who's in charge of the National Black Marathoners Association, did some calculations for me. And he was saying that one in 45,000 marathoners would be a black woman over 70. So I guess I don't I didn't do the percentage, but that's a really minuscule number. It is. And when I've done, when I did Boston at first, I didn't see very many African-American women. The last time I did Boston, I saw more than I did then. And I think that's, of course, through the efforts of groups that have encouraged women to race and women of color, like, you know, like Black Girls Run. I've never run with that group. Have you? Black Girls Run. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Philadelphia, which is when I, where I started running, I ran with them sometimes, but I was running with this other group, which was called United Nations, because it most of the it was interesting out of the group when I started running the United Nations, it was two African Americans. The rest were either from the Caribbeans or African. We had one member from the UK, Vietnamese, but it, that's what we would call the United Nations because it was there was only two. Americans actually in the group. The rest of the, the black people, people of color were from other places. When I first started running, I actually ran with a group of women and 
I sort of, I, I, I joined a group, the Baltimore Pacemakers, and a group of women in that group sort of decided to run, do their own thing uh, two days a week. And I started running with them. And we were sort of a United Nations of sort. One woman was, uh, she was born in Japan and she ran with the group. I was the only African-American person. The other people were like Italian-Americans and one was a Greek-American. They were so supportive and encouraged me so much because I didn't run that fast at the beginning. I remember one time we were in uh, a park and they were running and I was with them. And I was kind of far behind because I was slower than everybody. And um, these runners came by that we knew. And the woman in that group said, she says, are you with them? And I said, yes. She says, I didn't think you were because you're so far behind. I thought, thank you. (laughs) I was really insulted. That was not nice. No, people say some strange things. People are. I think some some people are just nasty and some so well, most runners I think are nice and well genuine, but some runners are kind of elitist and look down on people who are slower than them or don't, you know, run a seven minute mile or whatever, which I've never have. So which I think is bad for the overall sport. I think it should be inclusive because people run for different reasons, you know? Oh, they do. And I, I think that typically I mean I I've met some wonderful people running and for much of the time, my social life revolved around running. I mean, because runners would have parties and they would invite other runners. And when I ran with the pacemakers after the Saturday runs, we would all get together and have breakfast at a restaurant, usually at a restaurant or someplace from where the uh, run launched. And that was very nice. And I really felt that I was part of a supportive community. And that was... uh, a very diverse group. Women were in the minority, but um, they're actually the coordinator was an African American, but most of the people in the group were not. And I think that probably reflects the interest in running. You know that uh, it just more than anything else. I mean, some people just weren't that interested in running at that time. They may not be that interested now. I think that's why it's so good that these groups like what is it, Latinas running and black men running and black girls running and all these other groups are out there to uh, engender interest uh, among people who might not have been interested in the sport otherwise. That's true. When I first moved to Chicago, I joined, I started running with, I met a person that lived in Chicago when I was in Berlin and she invited me to run with the group. She was running with all guys. It was a group called men run these streets. And I used to show up, but they were running like seven, eight minute pace. So it's like, boom, I was running by myself mainly. It was one guy was a little bit slower, but I, I stopped going because I felt like I was running by myself. Cause, and then I used to tire myself out because I tried to keep up for a little while and they were just warming up. <laughs> so that's the only reason I kept up with them. But now it's like more inclusive. They have this black Chicago run. So they have people from all paces and. They wait till the last person comes in, so it's real supportive. Well, I mean, I, I'm not that fast because I'm old. <laughs> but also, too, I tend to have stamina, but I, I'm not nearly as fast as a lot of women are. I think I hold my own in my age group, but mm-hmm. people in my age group are, I mean, like the last, the, the uh, half marathon I did, I was 
in the 75th percentile of my, you know, for, of my age. But um, it's, we're not people in their women in their uh, 70s aren't running that fast. I mean, in an absolute sense. But uh, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm I'm just happy I'm able to run, and I want to be able to run regardless of my speed uh, into the years. I mean, and if I had to identify, I guess, sort of a fitness aspirations, it would be that I would be able to continue on, that I would not be injured as I have been, injuries that have slowed me down and have prevented me from some doing some races. And uh, I would like to encourage other women of my age to engage in fitness activities. They don't have to run, but they can walk. They can do uh, seated aerobics. They can go to the pool. They can do lots of things to be fit. They don't have to run. And I'm not suggesting through my example that I see this as something that other people would do necessarily who are my age. But there are things, and my sister, one of my sisters who's 70, uh, experienced uh, some health issues recently. And that, you know, determined by lifestyle. And now she does, she works out every day. And that's something she's never done because she's finally understood the connection between what she does and what she eats to uh, to quality of life. And that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But and I would I'd like to uh, continue to write in some way about running. As I said, I in saving myself one step at a time. I talked about my running experiences. I talked about some of the challenges I've faced as a woman in terms of uh, I've had lots of issues recently that actually that are related to a topic that women don't talk about. And those like pelvic floor issues. Mm -hmm. I've had problems because, you know, the pelvic area has to support all those parts when you're running and when are runners and I thought, and, and my air, my pelvic floor was too tight, too taut. So I've had to go to physical therapy seeing the pelvic therapist so that I complete activities that sort of loosen that area. Because again, I was having a lot of problems in terms of pain and uh, because of the tightness there. And a lot of women don't realize that this is an air the problem. And if they have problems tied to pelvic floor, lots of times people think it's because they've had lots of children, have children, but actually, they don't realize that you can have pelvic floor issues because you're a runner, because all that bouncing up and down, all those organs you have to support, and then you en- end up with conditions that sort of work against running well. You end up with pain. I remember one time I couldn't even get up out of bed because I couldn't sit up because of of issues. And but I did go to therapy, and and I'm now I've those problems have been addressed for the time being. <laughs> open to perpetuity therapists that are that are focused in that area because before you you couldn't find a lot of therapists who specialize in that you're right you couldn't find therapists Mm -hmm. yeah you couldn't and are some people just i mean you didn't realize that 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 was an issue you just knew you were hurting so you didn't realize you probably didn't equate it to something's going on in, in your pelvis well, I also had to deal with what pubis osteitis, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is an inflammation of the uh, pelvic, is a pubic synthesis. 
And that's an overuse injury. Mm -hmm. And that also had a negative impact on my, my running. But again, this is something I think that people, especially women don't, women runners don't know can be an issue. And, but I've tried, I try to educate myself. I do a lot of reading about running and I go to physicians and seek assistance or to a physical therapist and, and seek assistance. I've been lucky in that I've found good people to help me. That's always good. Cause it, one of my friends, she's also um, a runner turned triathlete and she's, she's, she skis or boards as well. She said it takes a village. It takes a team of people because it's just things going on and your body being out of balance and one small thing can kind of rock the boat. It takes a lot of different people and a lot of different specialties to get you in the right state so you can continue doing what you love to do. Part of my podcast is to feature guests who have overcome obstacles to make it to their finish line. You mentioned some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome. Can you go into more detail about any obstacle related to running? It could be related to your career or just life in general. In terms of running, uh, certainly a major obstacle for me has been my age, has been my um mm-hmm. So I, there are times that I have confidence issues. I'm thinking, I don't know that I can do that. Like this morning, I was so tired and I thought, I don't even know that I want to go out here and do this. But I'm very much into a schedule. But I said, well, I've got a, a running plan. And if there's any way that I can achieve what's on that plan, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. And I think this uh, this sort of attitude about doing what is required or what's recommended, I think transcends running. running. Uh, I have, in terms of, and I, so, I mean, I, I think certainly one has to be determined. One has to be focused. And uh, I, I think I am determined. You have to be disciplined. I don't depend on other people, for example, to run. I know a lot of people make appointments with others to meet up to run. I mean, I have done that in the past. I used to run. I used to have a regular running partner. We would drive to one another's houses and we would run together. But once I didn't have that, I didn't stop training and adhering to my schedule because I did not have somebody who was holding me accountable. I hold I hold myself accountable mm-hmm. for my running and for other things, also for other aspects of my life. It would be very different. It would be really easy for me to say, okay, you've injured yourself all these times. You can't come back. But I uh, mm-hmm. believe I can. My uh, husband showed me this quotation from Rafael Nadal, the tennis player, and in which he says that, you know, he's sort of reached his peak. He knows that. But every day he gets up and he goes to practice believing that he can improve. I sort of follow that. I mean, it would be easy for me to say, okay, you've, you're old, you're almost 77 years old. You're never going to run as fast as you, you ran in the past. Not that that was, not that I was burning up the streets, but I, and it's, it's discouraging. It was discouraging to me because when I did my half marathon recently, I was, I think I was about a minute or so slower than the marathon, I half marathon I had run most recently before I was injured. And so, but I 
told myself, I'm when I go out and I run and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get back to that speed, but I'm certainly going to try. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, I, I believe that I can do something. Every day I go out there, I think that I can do something to improve. And so I, that's the attitude. Because if I didn't believe that, I would just cave and not go out there and, and do what I do. I mean, I, when I, I mean, I wouldn't be running 18 miles in the next couple of days if I didn't think that my endurance would, would improve. And so I, I try not to limit myself. And one thing, too, that I've learned recently in running is the importance of the mind. You know, I know that everybody talks about Iliad Kipchoge and his mind and how he does things. And I go out there and I tell myself now more than ever that running is a mental game. You have to prepare. You can't just go out there and magically do things you haven't prepared for. I've understood much more than I did in the past about the importance of the mind in running. And I try not to let my mind limit me. Again, I don't believe in magic, but I do know that if I believe I can do something and if I have the, if I've prepared myself, then I can do it. I mean, I believe that I can do this marathon in September, not magically, because I will have to train. I have to put in the time. I have to put in the hard work. And I think that attitude permeates everything that I do in life. And certainly as a runner, I think that one has to understand that the mind can limit you, but also the mind can, you can use the mind to achieve. And sometimes I think I've been using it, like, you know, sometimes to sort of limit me and what I could do. But now I, again, I don't believe in magic, but I think that if I put in the work and then on race day, I think I'll be fine. Also too, I told myself, if I go out there and I don't qualify for Boston, uh, in my next marathon, I'm not going to beat myself up. Please don't. I just won't. I mean, if I've prepared properly, I should be okay. And if I don't qualify, maybe I'll qualify when I'm 80. <laughs> when I I'll, I will have aged up and maybe I'll get more than five hours in five minutes. I believe in you. <laughs> and let me know the next time you go, because I really, I've never been. I really want to go. Just to experience, even if I don't ever run the race, I want to go and be a spectator. Because I, I just love, even like when I'm injured and can't race, and then I go and cheer on my other friends, it, it gives me life. It gives me, I feel like I'm I'm a part of the sport, even though I can't really do it because of injury or whatever. But it, it, it helps motivate me to get out there and to keep trying to improve, to get back in the game, so to speak. Yeah, I like to volunteer for that reason too at races. I mean, that really puts you in connection with your family, with your family of runners. I haven't been volunteering as much as I used to in the past, but I'm going to get back out there and do more of that. I mean, give back to the sport in that way. So I'm always conscious of all those people when I did that, when we just did the half marathon, all these people out there on the course, you know, at the water stops. And a lot of them were uh, high school Uh, running teams and they're out there early in the morning for you know along with a bunch of other people helping and you know and so I believe I need to give back too in the same way 
if uh present day TJ could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? In terms of real world, I think that I would tell younger TJ that she needs to know what she's getting into before she gets in before she does some things. I went to the South, the deep South to work without really understanding the context in which I was into which I was moving. And I thought I understood it, but I really didn't. So I think I would tell younger TJ that she needs to understand context and she needs to understand politics in certain settings more than she did. She also needs to know that sometimes in certain settings, if you're an outsider, you may not be welcome. And I would also try to encourage her to learn how to implement change a little more uh, in a little more politically astute way so that she's not seen as uh, somebody who is really uh, rocking the boat in such a way that other people see you as almost an enemy. And that's, I'm making that, that's not related to running. I would say that in running context, one thing I do is I do try to understand the context of, in which in which I'm going to be working. I mean, I uh, and I do that by doing my reconnaissance of courses, by uh, talking with people who run races. There are some races I haven't run because people who have run them had told me not to run them. Yeah, and one of them I remember, and I shouldn't mention it. A person told me about a race that I shouldn't run because. He said that um, you know, the weather was so unpredictable in the winds and uh, because the race occurred near, I think, water or something. And he told me, and he was a really good runner, but he told me not to. He said, don't. He said he's never had a good run there because the winds and the weather. And I was thinking about doing that marathon and I didn't do it because he advised. Now, runners can do you in in other ways. They don't mean to, but they will tell you things. Oh, that course is pancake flat. And you run the course, and that course isn't pancake flat. <laughs> yeah, pre- maybe it depends on the context. <laughs> I, I don't. People think it's flat, and I'm like, people, Chicago's flat until you get that last like point two miles. <laughs> they flat that last hill. Chicago's flat until you get to the point six. Oh my, twenty six point two. The point two. The last. It's a hill. I run up it all the time because I. The last. You run up a hill and you make a left and you're at the finish line. So it's like a hill at, right at the end. Oh, my heavens. I, I, and I had the impression that it was flat or downhill. The last part. I run that hill all the time. So I'm right. used to it because that's part of my little route. Cause I live close to downtown where the race is. But that's that's not flat. And your legs are shot by then because it's the end of the race. But after you get up there, you, you turn left and you're done. But... You got to get up that hill. Yeah. Well, this uh, half marathon that we just did, I had no idea that there was an uphill finish. And I was, I think I told you earlier, I was shocked because I'd been told, oh, it's pancake flat. I'm thinking, what kind of pancakes are you eating? Oh, yeah. See, people. And people don't mean, they, but you're right, people have different definitions. Yeah. Have you ever done Marine Corps? No. It ends in a hill, too. I didn't do the DC uh, rock and roll even though it's not that far, because I thought if I want to see sites, I mean, one of the uh, lures is that you see you'll pass all these sites. I'm thinking if I want to see sites, 
I won't be doing it on a race. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, if I want to see, I mean, a race is not the context. And when I run, I don't know about you. I never notice the what's around. I don't notice the scenery or whatever. My husband told me we ran over a bridge, and I'm thinking, which bridge? What is he talking? I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, I just don't see it. You have tunnel vision. See, I see stuff. It depends on the race, and it depends, especially if I'm hurting. Uh, like, like when I, I my first marathon was in DC. I'll never forget it. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that race. I saw a lot because I was walking because I was hurting. I had an injury like two weeks before, like IT band, and it hurt to bend my knee past mile 15. So I had to limp to the finish line. So I saw a lot of DC because I was moving so slow. That was my worst marathon. My first marathon was my worst marathon, even though I had some bad ones. But yeah, it was called something else at that time when I did it. 2010. I never forget that race. And then my condo burned down the next day. I'll never forget that. <laughs> it was it was not a great time in my life. But I did. I was a marathoner, so I was happy. But um any last minute words of advice for my listeners about running or life or anything? No, I would say this and I would I would actually give advice to people who are just starting out. I remember one time and this woman wanted to run with me and she was not a runner. And she ran with me one time and she never, she never ran with me again. I think that she thought, you know, she would just, I think we were in a, um, a fitness class together at a gym. And I think that she thought somehow magically she was going to be able to run easily. I think that I would, and I encountered this a lot when I am on the running sites on Facebook and people who are just starting out. They talk about how they can't breathe and they sort of beat up on themselves. And I would simply say that if you, when you begin to run, regardless of your age, be patient. Running is tough, especially the breathing for everybody when you get started because you have to build up. I would say to be patient and be kind to yourself. Also understand, and this is a global statement, that you need to walk before you run. And that when, and that I would say too, if you decide you're going to run, find a plan. If you haven't run before, maybe there are lots of couch to 5K plans out there and things will come. You'll be able to run once you put in the time. And, and I would say too, while running with other people is great. If you can find somebody to run with, please, I think that's a good way to go. If you can't find anybody, know that you can run by yourself. And you have your watch with you. And so you can get information easily about how fast you're going. And speed is not necessarily the, uh, I mean, that's the way we're taught, is that speed is paramount to everything else. But there's so much more associated with running than running fast. Uh, Again, there's that sense of well-being. That's the time. And also, too, I would say one of the things I've learned, too, about running is that it really helps me to think better. And so I would encourage people to think about running in that way as well. Yeah, it clears your mind. I'm stressed out about something. I go out and I'm thinking about something. And it's just, it automatic when I come back, I just say peace. I'm like, and I talk to God out there. I mean, it's just, it's just a great thing. Produces such satisfaction and such intellectual acuity after you've finished the run and during the run. When I write, I think about my plots and what I'm going to do when I'm running. And I will mention, I think I told you I have two books. 
Saving Myself One Step at a Time. Yes. Tell me about your books. I have two and I have another one I'm working on. There's Running plays a big part in each. The Saving Myself One Step at a Time is a memoir. So it captures my uh, experiences as a runner and some of the issues I've dealt with. People laugh when they talk about my too much information chapters <laughs> sections, but people who are runners say, you know, maybe some people think it's too much information, but uh, they said we're runners. And so we know about some of the issues that you mentioned. And like, I shouldn't say like the trots <laughs> when, when you don't eat the right thing. Other issues that you have to deal with that are sort of, as they say, real. I also have Black Girl in Red, White, and Blue America, which is a novel. It is based uh, in many uh, ways on my life. And there is section, there are four chapters in that book that cover running. I also have uh, information there about my attempts to learn how to swim or the main characters uh, attempt to learn how to swim and bike. And I have another book I'm working on now that's titled The Running Sleuths. It's a mystery. And it begins with a runner, a lone female runner who is strangled. <laughs> and so these two runners try to get at uh, the reason she was killed and try to find the perpetrator. I'm not, I've, I, so I've been reading lots of mysteries as I work on this book. And again, it's called The Running Sleuths. I mentioned to a cousin of mine what the title was. And she said, the name of the book is The Running Sloths? I said, no. That's what I was saying. I said, it's not The Running Sloths. I know. The Running Sleuths. <laughs> so that should be it. That should be uh, Saving Myself One Step at a Time came out in 2020. Black Girl in Red, White, and Blue America came out in 2021. And The Running Sleuths, not to be confused with sloths, will be out in um, early 2023. So that's what I'm, I love to write. I love to write as much as I love to run. Okay. Where can people find you or if they want to purchase your book? Uh, my books are available on Amazon. I would uh, hope that you'd pick them up. I mean, people who've uh, read the book said, well, I would read the next thing you write because I mean, and these are tough critics. So uh, primarily a lot of runners have purchased saving myself one step at a time, which you know, sells well regularly. I'd like to think that runners will be interested in the running sleuth when that comes out. And uh, I'll certainly let people know when the uh, next book comes out. And I'll do that through uh, Facebook and through Instagram. And so those who are listening, you can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Instagram and uh, look forward to uh, letting you know about my uh, future running adventures. Okay. I'll put all your information in the show notes. Okay. Sounds great. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And again, I'm so grateful to you for having me on, on the podcast. I thank you for joining me. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. 
If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email Run It Is Cheaper Hair Therapy, OLB, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's Run It Is Cheaper Hair Therapy, Omaha Love Brown at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. OUI Life, OUI Love. Thank you and please tune in again.